Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. It's a really uh, comforting moment when you're surrounded by smart, awesome, kind people after you've asked a really dumb, perhaps obvious question. And you just got to let yourself ask those questions sometimes. <laughs> and I'm speaking not just in general, because that is my everyday life, asking dumb questions, because that's you know a winning strategy. Um, I specifically have been trying to figure out this data science puzzle and trying to... Um, further refine our efforts to do some Python data science and try to uh, make a tool, uh, a Python tool that can just run and, you know, examine the files that we need to examine. But how do you, how do you preserve the environment and the tools that you're using when you have Python that you need a certain version, perhaps, but more precisely, you need certain requirements like, you know, uh, numplot, uh, you know, all this data science stuff, uh, matplotlib and and so, uh, yeah, you know, virtual environments um, uh, and virtual vert env, you know, the usual um, tools to build uh, a special environment for Python. But, you know, being a Mac admin and being in this sort of space watching AutoPackageMonkey uh, and other others um, make deployable Python packages with requirements, I... I've been uh, puzzling over this a little bit because I've actually not compiled Python with my own requirements. So I was just like, okay, I haven't done this before. I know people have done it. I think I know how to do it, but I'm not sure since I've never done it, done it. You know? And so I was looking at like the Mac admins GitHub page and it, it didn't, I didn't see the steps of how to, how to do it. I could like, oh yeah, here's the requirements page. Okay, you add your requirements and then how do you compile it? I don't know. And so I just uh, allowed myself to ask a dumb question in the Python channel of Mac and Slack and go, how do you do this? I'm staring at it and it doesn't make sense. And then someone's like, oh, you got to use Greg's relocatable Python. And I'm like, I thought I was looking at that. And I look again. No, I was looking at the Mac and Mince page, not the relocatable Python page. And they're related. And on the Greg's page, yeah, he's got a nice readme and says, yeah, here's how you do it. I'm like, oh, perfect. <laughs> like, but yeah, it, it did take me asking some dumb questions in a public place but that's how how things how things happen you know you can't be afraid to ask those dumb questions i guess there are no dumb questions there are a lot of silly questions and you may ask a lot of silly questions but there's no dumb question because if you had that question i'm sure others have had that question and maybe they weren't able to scroll up enough in the conversation to to find yeah. that so you may have inspired other people to find greg's relocatable python today yeah i, I yeah i'm an inspiration that's right jd you heard <laughs> it here first folks an inspiration um yeah i was just you know it, sometimes it helps talking out loud and uh, talking out loud in a public channel sometimes you know you can go i have this thought i've been trying these things and what's going on you know like am i looking in the right place <laughs> like so Thanks uh, to Elias and Nick McSpadden. Thanks to the uh, super awesome, kind people in our community who treat me kindly. Thank you. Well, and that's the great thing about the Mac admins community is they generally don't uh, lash back out at you and say, Matt, that's a silly question. They say, Matt, look over here. This might be the answer that you were looking for. And I really appreciate that. Generally, they're very nice. Occasionally, I've seen some 
tense uh, conversations where people are in a rush or they're unknown people and nobody knows, you know, and the introductions haven't been properly made, perhaps. And sometimes there's some confusion as to what people want to do. And um, and words are hard and, and we're, we're typing. We're not we're not speaking to one another. I think I learned some lessons in the in the in the in the the hard hard knocks life of mailing lists, and uh, it was always appreciated when you could email the list and say, "These are the things I've tried. This is what I'm trying to accomplish, and this is the steps I've taken to try to solve my problem." And that helps helps contextualize because people's first responses are always like, "What are you actually trying to do? What have you tried to do?" <laughs> we as human beings tend to think everybody else already knows where we're at in the conversation inside our own heads. And then mm. we just pick up the conversation, you know, we turn the volume, the the internal volume control gets turned to an external volume control and uh, and we just randomly start talking about a subject and people are like we need some background, some context. And yeah, I think a lot is lost, uh, you know, to, to the good old days of, of mailing lists and even, uh, uh, IRC chat where you did, you provided background. Here's, here's where I'm, what I'm trying to do. Here's what I've tried. Please help. Yeah. I think the trick is finding a good community and, um, how, how to build a community, um, and how to find that good community. Those are not easy answers. Um, but uh, thanks to the Mac and Slack and the people that set that up in the beginning and the people that continue to to uh, to haunt its channels and help out uh, where possible. And uh, thank you to everyone that uh, hosts meetups, virtual or in, in the past, physical meetups and conferences, virtual or in the past, uh, we were together. Yeah, it takes a lot of people to build a community, and a, a good community like ours involves a lot of smaller communities and meetups. And I was invited by Ed uh, to the Mac Admin Monthly. I think something they started almost ten years ago. I think this is starting their tenth year of since when he was at Google, uh, and they started this Mac Admin Monthly. And uh, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was that was a fun little event uh, to join. I, it's always on my list of things. Oh yeah, I've been always been meaning to drop in and say hi. Well, totally, you should should drop in and say hi once a month. They do it, I think, maybe on the second Tuesday of the month. But uh, definitely check them out if you have a chance. It's uh, sort of like a Zoom. Uh, they do it through, I think, StreamYard, and uh, but uh, it it gets posted to YouTube after. But it's like uh, a lot of friendly faces that I've seen at conferences and. I uh, I thought it was going to be me and Ed. I don't know what I was expecting, or maybe I was just expecting just like a happy little room of people chatting about whatever. But it turned into uh, almost like an intervention or something. Everyone was just like asking me <laughs> questions, and I was like, "Are we are we doing this?" <laughs> but no, super super friendly, and they just asked about like Mac DevOps and you know, what we're doing, and uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was fun. Just uh, it's good to see people. Um, yeah. So so speaking of Mac DevOps, what what are we doing? Well, I'm glad that you asked, JD, because um, this is totally not scripted at all. Um, and if you know us, it isn't. Um, yes, we plan. We plan. We plan. We plan to make plans. We scheme. But speaking of planning and scheming. Well, we were officially asked uh, what our plans were for sponsorships for the next conference. So that set upon the gears, upon the, the levers, upon the machine, upon the uh machine itself uh yes so uh if people want to sponsor our conference please uh email um email us at hello at mdoyvr.com reach out to us on the mac and slack in the mac devops yvr channel 
uh, or on Twitter. Um, but uh, yeah, I, we're going to do it again. I think it's going to be virtual. Uh, we're going to plan for a Discord and live conference like we did last year. I think it worked really, really well. The feedback was was uh, you know over the moon. People loved it. So um, yeah, you heard it here, folks. Uh, June uh, 2021 uh, Discord. Um, and if suddenly you know the pandemic is over and uh, the world is cured and the borders are open, <laughs> more importantly. <laughs> maybe we can do it in person too but for now i think um keep your masks on stay home uh stay safe and let's plan for uh a virtual conference uh, in discord and i think we're gonna try and open up the discord early uh you know way sooner than june and uh hopefully encourage people to collaborate and work on stuff there if you want to practice some talks some quick talks uh, if you want to um, just uh start hanging out and sharing and there's other books you want to discuss. We can have some more book clubs. Um, yeah, we're here to help. If you did attend the conference uh, this year, here in 2020, uh, that that Discord and your access to that that server is still available. And uh, there's a lot of uh, great content uh, there through the conversations uh, that happened uh, for each of the talks, and, and along with uh, the great uh, visual renderings of of the talks by by Ash. Yeah. I had a busy day today because uh, my first appointment, or my second appointment, uh, the day has been a long day, I had uh, a meeting scheduled with Ashton herself, the great uh, graphic recording superstar. Um, she's been recording all these awesome DevOps conferences all over the world, um, now virtually, but she wanted to set up a GitHub repo, and uh, and so I, I helped her uh, sort of walk through a little bit of that uh, uh, today because she wanted to showcase all her cool graphic recording from all these different conferences. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm no uh, Git, GitHub superstar, but I know the basics. So I, uh, I just helped Ashton uh, work on uh, setting up her repo and getting a little workflow for her to set up to share her cool, uh, awesome uh, graphic representations of talks that she's given all over the world. So looking forward to seeing that GitHub uh, and multiple repos get uh, get set up. Um, yeah, go Ashton. Nice. Yeah, Git, Git is uh, very much, uh, you know, the, the overriding uh, protocol, I guess, for for having a repo and being able to check things in and out and GitHub and GitLab and a few others out there are all different uh, repository services out there that you can, you can use that come with various CI CD type capabilities and yeah. control. So it, it's good to clarify. Sometimes we, <laughs> we, uh, we Kleenex things, right? We, we start to use, uh, the, the name of a single service to, to call it, uh, well, yeah, and repo, you know, short for repository. But I think it can seem a little overcomplicated for some people who are used to Dropbox or something is just a, literally a box you drop stuff into. But right. I've been doing a lot of this with uh, PostLab for my editors uh, because it's using GitLab in the back end. And it's the same sort of idea that I've been trying to get people. It's like, yes, we're going to put this stuff back, but we're going to make a comment and we're going to say, this is what I've done. And so um, just explaining to, to Ashton, as I explained to the editors, when we put things back, we have a commit message and we ha we put a little message about what we've done and then we push. And so um, it's like a two-step uh, dance instead of a, just a drop it into the bucket of data that can get, you know, 
<laughs> shuffled in or lost. But uh, this helps with version control and uh, working with other people. But in the case of Ashton and uh, sharing her images, there probably won't be a lot of uh, pull requests on those images per se. But uh, it's good to know that uh, you know you're, there's a commit message and then you uh, you push to your uh, master repo or main repo. I'm probably uh, my my biggest tip uh, for for any Git uh, repo is to to start with a blank repo and actually push that first, and then start committing uh, anything else after that. So uh, uh, and do small increments as much as possible. It feels painful, but but you yeah. will appreciate yourself for having smaller commits and not like, hey, we changed these forty five files in this in this one commit because that's Definitely. just. A pain to unravel later on, and uh, and anytime you're learning a new thing, it's it's best to try one one or two things at a time. And uh, after our little talk with Ashton, I uh, I said, oh, I'm just I'm just gonna throw her one more thing. And one more thing was uh, uh, using Markdown to create a little README and just put a little README in every repo. So if in her example, if she does a a repo per conference, you could have a, a very simple README with a title of the conference and a link to the conference and. So um, we'll put a link to the show notes, but uh, Markdown uh, is supposed to be simple, but it's yet another language or syntax or, uh, that you have to learn. But it can be very simple, uh, and if you stick to a few uh, easy things, just having uh, a title and a link in some square brackets, you know, it's just really easy to make a, a very quick README for your repo and uh, helps it stand out and gives a little pointer to everybody looking at it. Yeah. I'm I'm the laziest at Markdown. I have text expanders for everything because I can't remember what what the codes are for all the Markdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great tip. Great tip. Text expander. Is that supported on the uh, M1 UMAX? Uh, I'm I'm not sure. Have you gotten yours? I have not received mine yet. <laughs> no, no, I have not ordered any M1 Max yet. Uh, but I hear uh, I, I hear that uh, Final Cut flies. <laughs> yeah, Final Cut's uh, pretty awesome uh, all account, all, on all accounts. But yeah, I, I did order some more storage from my home, but no more, no M1 Max yet. I'm, I'm just <laughs> yes, I'm a, I'm a storage nerd, and uh, yeah, I want to test some more storage. So if you have storage and you're a storage vendor and you want to send me storage to test, I love that. We'll see how much storage you get. I, I, I can send you. I can send you a couple of uh, one gig uh, USB thumb drives. Oh yeah, definitely guaranteed. To guaranteed to be quality. Definitely want to test those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can get a, a a giant multiple USB hub and and string together a small RAID. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, you know, over the holidays, it's going to be good times. I mean, we got our uh, sort of extra. Uh, I don't know what to call it. Lockdown uh, notice from our public health officer and uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry said. Uh, yeah, everything is uh, pretty much canceled until January uh, 8th, which means pretty much back to school for the kids and all that stuff. But yeah, but, uh, yeah we have, we have no similar, similar uh, constraints here. So uh, stay home, stay healthy, stay safe. I noticed that uh, the uh, ever lovable, super awesome Tim Perfect uh, posted a really neat uh, thread on Twitter about how he was playing with the uh, Amazon Mac Mini uh, offering. And uh, he had been developing this um, signing app, um, so he was testing that out. And uh, look forward to to hearing more about that uh, when he plays with that a little bit more. But you know, uh, deploying code and building code and then signing it and anything that helps make that easier uh, certainly is a 
a help for a lot of developers and programmers and uh, sysadmins, perhaps even too. Yeah, Tim Perfett's uh, signing manager is uh, is pretty spectacular because it allows you to have and share a uh, a private signing key uh, without actually putting it out like on the public cloud. And, and uh, yeah, that thread was was really great uh, as he uh, kind of pointed out, you know, how you can use signing manager uh, to to do exactly that and be able to use it, use your private uh, code signing key. Uh, on a public cloud that's building, you know, installers or and packages and what have you, uh, without actually putting your private key out there. Uh, so, uh, signing manager is is pretty slick. Uh, if you haven't looked at it, uh, I'd highly recommend it uh, uh, for for managing uh, your your certificates. And if you have a, a team that needs to uh, sign a bunch of things, all you know, as representing um, that one certificate or that one identity, uh, he's got a great solution for that. So, yeah, really cool. Tim Tim does some amazing things. Uh, and he's restoring a, an old uh, an old Ford model. It's not a Model T. It's Model A. Model A. Yeah. So, uh, so definitely worth a follow on the on the Twitter to uh, to see all of his shenanigans that way. Yeah, I mean. There's, there's, there's so much to love about Tim. I, I, we could do a whole podcast episode, uh, but uh, uh, we did. <laughs> we oh, yeah. asked him a lot of questions. But I, I mean, we could have a whole episode just complimenting oh, just, him. Just yeah, complimenting him. Yeah, yeah, just I, I, I could. He does everything with flair. I mean, that's that's the too long didn't read. Um, he's got an enthusiasm for discovering, building, inventing um, that is infectious, and I love Tim Perfit. He is amazing. I love his Twitter uh, threads and I love his enthusiasm and you are amazing, Tim. Yeah. And he's a tinker uh, and, and uh, an inspiration uh, to me as I uh, have uh, started inhaling the, uh, the fumes of uh, solder as I uh, play with uh, some Adafruit uh, feathers here and, and finish up a project for one of my clients that will uh, be uh, announcing when orders come in through uh, a little push notification. So, uh, yeah, Tim, Tim's an inspiration that way. If you've ever been to, uh, any of the conferences that, that he attends, which generally was, uh, Penn state, uh, Mac admins, uh, conference, he's always got some sort of a toy or trinket or something that's activated when you walk by or say hi or do something. And generally it spits out candy. That Tim, you got 550 bucks on you, American Matt. No, <laughs> I don't even know what the Canadian price is going to be on these, but uh, Apple uh, announced the new AirPod Max, uh, which is uh, interesting. Sounds like, public, sounds like a public health product or something. These are over-the-ear uh, headphones um, that uh, have a, a lot of money behind them for you to accidentally leave on a plane, uh, probably on a 737 Max. Um uh, for that, so uh, it looks interesting and, and cool, but uh, definitely uh, a very huge sign that that there's a reality distortion field around Apple. Yeah, they're about a thousand bucks Canadian. <laughs> Ouch! And uh, this reality distortion field, or RDF, uh, which I have referred to, and and the community probably has referred to for for years, is just that uh, 
you know, it just like you have no idea that a, a pandemic is happening at this point in time. Apple is just pumping out amazing new technology uh, that that you want, and everybody wants to lust after it. But uh, I don't know. It took me this long to to convince me to shove these things into my ear with the AirPods uh, and the AirPods Pro. I'm uh, I'm not ready back to, for the uh, sweaty ear covered uh, headphones again. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, over the ear uh, he- headphones are a uh, they're an acquired taste. For the money, I'd rather buy a, a Mac Mini. <laughs> yeah, that that is an interesting uh, uh, paradigm there that that they literally cost the the same as uh, an entry level Mac Mini. Apparently, they they've already sold uh, way more than than they expected because the uh, the wait times. If you if you are just hearing this now. Uh, and go to go to purchase one. I'm pretty sure it's going to be well into 2021 uh, before you receive said headphones. Darn! I just can't. Not any tears for those um, <laughs> people that need this high quality audio. But uh, well, it's it's a status symbol. I mean, it's it's nothing short of a status symbol. They they bought Beats. You know, they they did some cool things with uh, Apple Music. Uh, from that, they kind of let the, uh, the headphone portion of beats, uh, kind of flounder for a while. And really the quality kind of dropped if, if you ask me. And, uh, this is, this is Apple retuning all of those engineers to be, uh, focused on, uh, you know, on headphone technology. And, and we saw that as well with the, the, the home pods. I mean, you picked up a couple of home pod minis and, and the sound quality on those, uh, perfect. Holy yeah. So, so they, 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 they did employ those audio engineers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I heard uh, Marco Arment on the ATP podcast talk about an hour about how he hates the sound on the new HomePod minis. And I'm like, they sound great. It's like, I don't know. Uh, yeah. From the poverty scale of, I don't know what music's supposed to sound like, but they sound great. But to be honest, uh, Sono speaker, HomePod speaker, how many times are you going to be playing or blasting music or anything on these speakers when we're all huddled in different corners of our, uh, you know, rooms of our houses, apartments, you know, uh, with everybody working at home uh, in their own corners? It's, you hope that you have AirPods or headphones or something. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm still a fan of my Sonos, and uh, you know, I dropped some coin on those, and they're they're still functional, so I'm not giving up on them yet. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it, uh, we don't, we don't play very much music, uh, out loud. Uh, and part of that's, uh, because we have zoom calls and things like that to be on. And, and, uh, really it's just, it's just a, a miserable experience for everybody else in the room for, for you to listen to everybody. Um, and, uh, and stammer yeah. while they try and think of things kind of yeah, like this podcast. <laughs> I did a four hour uh, Zoom or Google chat or some kind of like, you know, chat. It was like literally four hours straight for like, it was like a storage setup, but it was all remote, you know? So oh, it's geez. Like, you know, like, <laughs> oh, that was a long time. But I think the worst is, is the meetings where you have to care about your background or something. And um, my wife has really sculpted a piece of a room and made it just beautiful, like, you know, with pictures and flowers and everything. And she has, very fine attention to details, which I sometimes lack. Um, and my office is more of a tech um, explosion. Um, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I need uh, I need to sculpt it and uh, make it look like it's not a messy mind, which it is the result of. Um, 
confession time. I need a home office makeover. <laughs> help! help. <laughs> well, I, they, I they, they, they film. She said no. <laughs> Don't they film have those uh, house makeovers either in Vancouver and Toronto? Seems anyway, like a lot of the Hollywood North stuff. Yes, you know. yeah. Maybe I can do the next episode of Smallville here. There. <laughs> <laughs> I was wearing one of my old VFX jackets, uh, you know, a couple months back and uh, some dude stopped me and he's like, Hey dude, can we film in your house? And I'm like, what, what, why, why are you asking me if you can film my house? It's very random. He's like, Oh, you're wearing your, your this VFX jacket. And I'm like, Oh yeah, it's an old jacket. And he's like, yeah, well I figured you, you'd totally be into us. Uh, you know, I'm a location scout. I'm filming and we need to film like in, in a house. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry. I mean, yes, it's tough. Uh, uh, for film filmmakers and uh, producers to find places and locations, but not my house. No. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be taken over by a film crew. No. Yeah. No, I've, I've, I've watched other people's houses be taken over and, and like repainted just the front of it repainted for the day. Uh, so they can do a, a shot in front of a house and then, and then magically paint it again <laughs> like the next day. Uh, yeah. They, they can work some magic. That's for sure. But, yeah, I mean, uh, we just did the Final Cut Summit a couple of weeks ago, and it was just really interesting to he- see a lot of presentations on using like the Unreal Engine to create a virtual set, as well as there was these new uh, LED-, LED panels that people are using instead of a green screen. So like the Mandalorian, they basically have a humongous LED panel, and you, you're literally filming on location somewhere, but you have this whole uh, set behind you that's just like a 3d environment that's that that shows like the led screen shows up like you know a television or a, like a, a projection screen you know so they can basically build a whole environment and uh, you know the actors can actually you know more or less interact with their environment or they see the environment around them which is insanely awesome for film production and and uh subject for another podcast perhaps but yeah <laughs> <It's> just <laughs> the techniques like that. that people can use for uh filming wherever they are you know yeah, there's a, there's a lot of great uh, uh, sites that that kind of reveal some of those uh, quote unquote Hollywood secrets where they used to uh, uh, paint, you know, literally paint glass and and you know prop that up in front of the camera to to create scenes and and things like that. The interesting part now is just the fidelity, right? We're filming in six and eight K uh, now that I, it's got to be even tougher to to kind of hide and mask some of that, <laughs> some of that stuff these days. Well, and even some of the clients that are filming in 4k, but are uh, ship shipping for lack of better words, uh, you know, pr- delivering, um, you know, just uh, 1080p standard, you know, uh, high def to YouTube. When you shoot larger than what you're delivering, you have some play with where you can move and how you frame your shot. Um, mm-hmm. But all that, is expensive but luckily with the magic of proxies and final cut uh, and other apps can help you with this but with the magic of proxies you can have much smaller files that are still at the frame size that you want um and uh i i had a kind of like a super amazing moment the other day when i i was like searching for this like huge like multi-gig file for an editor and they weren't sure which file it was and i was like scrambling around looking on the storage for it and i just like literally dragged this huge file onto this uh on postlab drive which is powered by lucid link which is object storage and so literally i didn't have to wait for the huge like multi-gig file to finish uploading or downloading it literally the blocks start 
you know, the editor on the other side could literally start playing the file and previewing it before it's finished, oh, wow. uh, uploading or downloading. And it was just like, you know, they're like, oh yeah, I can see the beginning of the, the file, you know, and it's like, I mean, it, it's not like an image where I can just show them really quickly. It's basically a whole movie, but you know, without having to cut the movie up and go, is it, or take a screenshot of like one scene, literally just, you know, drag, drop, upload, and just start streaming. Like, um, and I was just, I felt like a kid. I was like, this is magical. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, the old days, you know, of, uh, you know, Napster and modems and uh, you're trying to download one single MP3 song, you know, uh, you know, and you're waiting and waiting. Uh. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The old the old days when I ran a, a bulletin board service and and uh, I would go to the, uh, you know, L.A. Mug or Los Angeles Mac user group and buy up all of the floppy disks and put them put them online for my my uh, BBS for people to then go and and download from me but boy i tell you at 14.4 or maybe 28.8 those are those are some slow times for downloading files and i remember uh putting some of the first 56k modems and uh if you don't know what any of this is you're so lucky because you were born well after uh dial tones and and modems and things like that but uh 56k felt like it was screaming fast. We have these little shifts, you know, these I don't know, these little shifts. It's kind of like titanic shifts when, you know, you feel like your computing power has changed from PowerPC to, you know, Intel, maybe bad example, but more like Intel <laughs> to ARM. Like Intel like, to ARM. Wow, yeah. I can launch every single app or my app launches with one click, uh, you know. Well, and we saw this even with uh, transitions from from T1, you know, uh, really ISDN mm-hmm. lines and, and T1 uh, up to, you know, cable modems where we started seeing, you know, three, four, five uh, meg oh, per yeah, second. Edge. The 3G, uh, 3G, yeah, 3G edge and LTE changes, uh, you know, and nowadays you're, you're seeing more and more, uh, you know, gig to the home. Uh, you know, if you're not putting a gig to an office, uh, you're, you're probably not going to have enough bandwidth when we all meet in offices again. Yeah. I mean, when I set up uh, final cut with 10 gig NFS, you know, and I'm like used to fiber channel, I'm just like, wow, it actually works over copper wires and 10, <laughs> you know, I was like, right. that just shouldn't work, you know? And uh, speaking of, uh, I saw the Synology, the makers of this NAS product, uh, were showing some stuff that they're coming up with for the next year. And they're saying that their they're, uh, SAN, iSCSI stuff, they're going to start managing and uh, shipping NAS units that deal with Fiber Channel. So all the people oh, wow. said I should stop playing with XN and Fiber Channel and, and use Synology. Uh, now Synology is like, yeah, we, we're going to support Fiber Channel because that's the best kind of like storage you can have. <laughs> So I thought that was kind of funny. It's all sort of coming back. But. Yeah. Well, and all of those switches and, and all the infrastructure is already there. So you might kind of take advantage of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you can have like a raid, you know, and it's so easy to come up with a, a raid with, you know, <laughs> you know, four, four drives of 10, you know, 10 terabytes or eight drives of four terabytes or, you know, you can have 16 terabyte drives and. I was looking at some new storage today that was another Thunderbolt SAN and, uh, you know, it's like built in, you know, store next and just amazing what you can do with Thunderbolt. And yes, uh, the world is changing and there's some always some exciting tech. Uh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, this, uh, the Synology and, and QNAP uh, both now uh, have the option of shipping with 10 gig and, and 
some of the the newer switches uh, have a 10 gig uh, uplink. They may still be a gigabit switch, but they have a, a 10 gig uplink. And uh, and I know, uh, I think it was about a year ago, I put a, a rack station in uh, for a client. And we did the 10 gig uplink uh, for the rack station, and uh, all the folks were just like, "Wow, what happened? How did how did storage get so fast?" I'm like, "Well, actually, it's just that all of you know, up to ten of you can have a gig connection to the storage now. It's you're not all fighting uh, to talk over the same same uh, small small pipe. So yeah, the it's really coming along. Yeah, they they were definitely making some really cool announcements about how to manage multiple uh, Synology units and have them have like. They were talking about a new hybrid setup with the C2 with their cloud and how you could have mm-hmm. different NAS units that cache only certain parts of certain folders, you know, so you could have like a multi-site, uh, multi, you know, Synology deployment. Uh, they're really, um, the cloud is really good as a, as a backup or as a central management point, but the, I mean, Synology's selling NAS units, so um, it makes sense to them to push this, but I think it, it makes sense to have some storage on site and you know, like with PostLab, with these editors, they're not editing in the cloud. They're using the cloud as sort of an exchange and Git repository, and they're editing locally. So I think it makes sense to have, like, if you had a Synology unit or some kind of storage locally that can sync and, you know, talk to the cloud and be a, a referee. I think that that is a really good uh, best of both worlds. Yeah, and, and if, if since we're on the topic of uh, Synology, They've released the beta for Disk Station Manager uh, 7. So they've been on DSM 6 for quite some time now, and uh, we're finally starting to see daylight on DSM 7. Yeah, is, uh, I, I saw that. Who's who's installing it first? Not on production, yeah. Remember, when you test, test in production. No, no, for this, please don't test in production. You probably, probably want to... Uh, uh, Buy a new uh, unit just to test with. Yeah. Well, or 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 if you have an old unit that that is capable, uh, there are some limitations for that. Uh, uh, you know, definitely definitely worth uh, checking out. Uh, it's it's kind of cool, and it actually will run in a uh, virtual machine as well, so you can yeah, virtualize. I saw it. that. Um, I have not really played too much with with Docker on Synology, uh, and um, something I want to play with some more for sure. And I mean. What are the steps? Let me ask a stupid question. What are the steps of setting up a virtual DSM? I mean, can you just spin up in Docker, or uh, or what's what is what's the? Have you done this before, JD? I I have lived vicariously through uh, other other people. <laughs> That's a good uh, way to do it <laughs> <laughs> for this. But but uh, uh, you know, essentially, it's it's running a flavor of Linux. Um, so uh, that I've seen. Um, we run it in VMware uh, for for one of my clients uh, for that, and uh, and that's where we've done testing uh, with it. So uh, I wouldn't put a whole bunch of storage on there, but you know, there's other things that uh, uh, DSM does as far as you know, hosting services and things like that that you might want to check out and see what the differences are. Um, so it's it's always a great place to to test and, and check things out that way. It's amazing what they can do with virtualization technology. And I don't mean to sound like a complete uh, <laughs> noob, but uh, I, I'm definitely, uh, you know, from my early experience of, you know, X serves and all other kinds of raids and storage, uh, you know, having a real physical server has been sort of what I've traditionally done. And life is about learning new things. 
So it's amazing to see what uh, you can do with virtualization. I mean, in this new storage I was looking at today from Simply uh, S-Y-M-P-L-Y, um, basically it's like this really awesome storage and they run virtual machines inside that pass through the hardware. And so they can run, you know, can, a VM with asset management, in it, a VM with a, a, you know, a SAN controller and a VM with, you know, say your backup software, ArcAware or whatever, you know, it's like, just amazing what you can run with, you know, and you've got like workstation or uh, better than workstation class C- CPUs in these machines with RAM and, you know, um, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's genius. You know, stick a few NVMe sticks somewhere in the storage and you've got, uh, you know, you've got a really good setup. So <laughs> amazing. Yeah, it's really, really coming a long way. We were talking uh, last week about uh you know, Raspberry Pis and, and doing a pie hole, but you know, so much of that I've now moved to just a, a Docker instance and uh, and I do that on a Synology or a QNAP that might be local to the network. Pro tip. Makes it makes it makes it handy. Uh, even uh, things like Blue Sky, uh, Stephen Boyle, shout out to, to Stephen uh, uh, put together uh, uh, how to how to run uh, uh, Blue Sky, uh, which has been open sourced as a uh, remote access manager, he figured out how to set it all up in a Docker instance, and even the MySQL database that that you need to back it is all sitting in a, in a separate Docker instance, and you basically have two Docker instances talking to each other. It's it's kind of magical, but uh, but also very cool and very portable that way. Easy to easy to back up, definitely. Nice. I think uh, someone sent me a link to. Uh a Docker instance to help uh, set up WireGuard as well, which is a really good mesh VPN. And I've been playing with the the easy implementation uh, made easy by TailScale. But uh, yeah, uh, people are coming up with ingenious solutions. Yeah. You got any projects uh, over Christmas you're going to work on, uh, JD? Well, I'm hoping that uh, my uh, newly ordered uh, M1 Mac Mini will will arrive and and my project is to clean off my desk so I can actually have a place for the M1. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, but, but otherwise, um, uh, no, it, it's pandemic as usual, uh, staying low and, uh, you know, avoiding everybody. <laughs> a good strategy, a good strategy. So, yeah, but otherwise, uh, you know, I've, uh, like I said, I've, I've, uh, inhaled too many solder fumes and, and, uh, have a few, uh, little, Feather projects that uh, I'm I'm looking to explore uh, to to uh, just see if I can get these feathers to do some some kind of cool things. So we'll see we'll see what happens with that. If it's if it's interesting, pictures will be taken and posts will be made. If not, it'll just be filed away under the. Uh, well, that was fun. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Um, yeah, I'm hoping to play with a uh, raspberry pi of santa or santa's helpers uh sees fit to uh send me one i've been having uh trouble with the post lab app keep asking for accessibility per, uh, permissions and uh, even though i'd grant it it would just and i was like i know I, c- I should be able to fix this with like the right uh you know uh, profile or ppc or some kind of um uh, you know, profile. And, and so I uh, was looking at this again and I downloaded the utility from Jamf and there's a couple of utilities out there, but they have a PPC utility. Um, and I just dragged and dropped PostLab onto it and gave it all the uh, requirements uh, that it wants that I can see that it needs. And then uploaded the custom profile to Simple MDM and deployed it to a Big Sur Mac to test. And it seemed to work totally fine, which is great when you do something and you think it works. I mean, I could have... <laughs> 
done it incorrectly and it worked anyway a false positive for a false but i think it, i did it i think i did it correctly and it, it gave me some s- small sense of satisfaction <laughs> that i was solving a problem um thanks jd uh, you're the yeah. best co-host um until shauna comes back and uh, <laughs> best podcast ever. Uh, my pleasure <laughs> <laughs> and until next time Thank you so much for joining the Mac DevOps podcast, where we talk about Mac Dev and Ops not always at the same time or at all. If you want to sponsor the Mac DevOps podcast, uh, just give us a shout at hello at mdoyvr.com. We'll be accepting sponsorships for the podcast and for the next year's conference. Thank you to our Mac DevOps YVR 2020 sponsors. Our sponsors for Mac DevOps YVR, the conference 2020. Mac Stadium, our platinum sponsor, thank you so much for helping us out. Sauce Labs, our gold sponsor. Simple MDM, our silver sponsor. And Adigy, our bronze sponsor, as well as Elastic, our community sponsor. Thank you so much. Uh, we couldn't do it without you, and uh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests, and thank you to our co-hosts. Today's episode was edited by J.D. Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. Adulting is hard. I'll just segue right into adulting is hard and buying presents for everybody. I I find that stressful personally, uh, buying presents for everybody. And it's a lot of pressure. <laughs>